We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. When you understand that the church is made up of individuals purchased by the blood of Christ and where the Father's loved gift to His Son, then it ought to change your entire perspective on the church. Instead of just seeing sinful people who can get on your nerves, we see the church for what it really is. Someone said, half-jokingly, I love my church. It's the people I can't stand. Many people change churches often and get disgruntled a little too quickly because they are expecting Christians and churches to be perfect. Someone else said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. The truth is, God loves the church. He gave his son for it, and he gave the church to Jesus as his bride. Not because the church is perfect, but because the church is purchased by his blood and being made perfect in order to be presented one day as his pure and perfect bride. Don't forget, you're not in the church just because of what you can get out of it. You're also there because of what you can contribute to it. Don't miss the opportunities to serve that God gives you. You're listening to Verse by Verse Radio. Our purpose is to teach the clear truth of God's uncompromising word. We hope you listen regularly. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Here's Pastor Steve with today's message. There are a number of statements in the New Testament that tell us that that Christians belong to Christ. For example, Paul says you're, you are bought with a price. You no longer are your own. You're bought with a price. Peter says you're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But it is in Matthew 16, and I'd like you to turn there, in Matthew 16, where we read that Jesus emphatically declared that the church collectively was his in a way that nothing else is his. Matthew chapter 16. Now, we studied this many moons ago when we went through Matthew, but I want to remind you of this important passage. This is Peter's great confession of faith. And in Christ's response to Peter, we learn something about the church. We break in at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That is to say, who who are people saying, I am? Tell me what you're hearing. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What they were saying is, we think that they're saying you, you come back to life. You were one of these men, Old Testament times, or John the Baptist, you've come back to life. You've been resurrected in the person of who you are. So he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That's what Christ means. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven said, you're blessed, Simon, because you didn't figure this out. You didn't go to Bible school and somebody taught you this. God, the father, Revealed this to you. He was affirming, you're absolutely right. This is who I am. And then he said, I also say to you that you are Peter. 
And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is the very first time in the New Testament that the word church is mentioned. Up to this point, strictly Israel. Here we hear, uh, hear about the church. And although there are a number of very, very serious and important truths in this passage. What does he mean? I'll build my church on this rock, about the gates of Hades and all that. I understand that, but our purpose is not to look at that now. You can listen to the messages done on this and go back and see what those mean. But what I want you to see, the one truth I want you to see and understand is that Jesus said he would build his church, meaning that the church belongs exclusively to him. It does not belong to a pastor. It does not belong to a group of elders. It does not belong to a congregation. It is his church and his church alone. I will build my church. Now, it's important to understand that the word church, in using that, Jesus was not referring to a physical building. This building is not a church. We are the church. We come to this building. We call it a chapel. We are the church. So the Lord wasn't referring to a physical building when he said church, nor was he referring to any official religious organization. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It simply means called out ones. That's all it means. Called out ones. It was commonly used in ancient Greek literature to speak of an assembly of people in the sense of a group of individuals called out from a larger crowd in order to assemble and gather together. It's important to understand because what we learn from this is that when Jesus refers to the church, he is talking about people, individuals that he's called out from the world to enter into a special relationship with him in salvation. In fact, this was precisely what Jesus was referring to in the Great Commission from Matthew 28. The disciples that we are to make from all the nations of the world They constitute the church. They constitute the church. They are called out from the world to become his church. And those disciples who comprise the church are part of Christ's church because, watch this, he chose them and set his affection upon them and personally selected them to be his church. Church. I want you to see two important passages about this. One is Ephesians chapter one. The the church is not is not randomly has not randomly come together. The church is not an accident. It's made up of those chosen in Him. Ephesians chapter one, verses four and five say this: Just as He chose us in Him, God the Father chose us. In Christ, before the foundation of the world, before the world began, you were in God's mind. The church was part of his plan. Every individual who would ever be in the church was part of his plan. You were in his heart. You were in his mind. You were graven in the wounds of his hands and feet. So he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Before time began, God the Father set his affection upon you and chose you 
And that's why you came to faith in him. We were in his mind and heart. But the second passage that I want you to see is just fascinating. It is Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Notice how Paul begins. This is right after 2 Timothy, Titus 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Now, these verses speak of the salvation which is ours in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks of our election when he speaks of being chosen of God. He also speaks of our salvation in a certain time and place when we we came to faith. He speaks in the knowledge of the truth. We came to understand the truth. But notice what he says in verse 2. He speaks of God who cannot lie. God's character is so holy that he's not even capable of lying. He doesn't lie and he can't lie. He is truth personified. But God who cannot lie, Paul said, made a promise that those he chose and saved would experience eternal life. That is life forever with him in his presence. Now, here's the question. To whom was this promise made? To whom was it made? According to verse 2, this promise was made long ages ago, which means essentially before time began. Therefore, this promise could not have been made to any of us. We weren't there. Couldn't have been made to any person. We weren't there. Angels were not around since before time began. They are created probably just a little bit before men were created. So who's, who did he make this promise to? He didn't make it to people. He didn't make it to any angels. Listen closely because what I'm about to tell you is an amazing truth and it will help to shed light on how glorious the church really is. This promise was made by God the Father to his Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only one it could be. It was made by the Father to the Son before time began in eternity past. God the Father chose to give his Son a love gift. A love gift consisting of people who would follow Christ, those who would become his disciples from the various nations of the world. More than becoming his disciples, though, these who become his by virtue of the Father's gift to him become his church. They belong to Jesus in a way that is distinct and unique and different from anything else that belongs belongs to him. And the reason that this is true, note this. I mean, we could say in general, yes, all governments belong to Christ. We could say all families belong to Christ. All marriages belong to Christ because he instituted them. But this is different. The church is different when we say it is his. Why? Because he purchased the church in his death. He didn't purchase the nations of the world or governments or families or marriages by his death. He did purchase the church. Let me show you where we read this. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is meeting with elders from the church at Ephesus. He's saying his goodbyes to them. He's telling them that he's departing. They won't see him anymore. And he's explaining how he carried on his ministry so that they could carry on ministry the same way. And he says in verse 28, this grand verse, he tells them, be on guard for yourselves 
and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. These are the pastors, the elders, the overseers of the church. It means all the same thing, essentially. He says he's made you overseers, be on guard to shepherd the church of God. Note this, which he, that is to say Christ, purchased with his own blood. Purchased. It's bought. It's redeemed. When you understand that the church is made up of individuals, purchased by the blood of Christ, and where the Father's love gift to his Son, then it ought to change your entire perspective on the church. Instead of just seeing sinful people who can get on your nerves, we see the church for what it really is. Church is made up of people who were given by the Father to the Son. Not because we were any better than anybody else, but in the mysterious counsel of God's heart and mind, he chose some. He gave to, the, to Christ. And Christ then died for the church. And when we come to, to faith in him, Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I'll never cast out. This is the plan and heart of God. So when you understand this, you have a, a different perspective about the church. And notice that here in Acts 20, how Paul's instruction to the elders of the church at Ephesus about how to treat the church, protect the church, guard the church, care for the church. It's based on the sole fact that this church belongs to Christ. He's entrusted the church to your care. It doesn't belong to you. Notice how this passage, what this passage goes on to say. He purchased the church with his own blood. He says then, verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He said, after I leave, I know false teachers are coming in. Some will come in from the outside. Some will come in from the inside. They'll be amongst your, your leaders in the church and they will try to draw disciples away from Christ to follow them in false teaching. So he goes on to say, therefore, in light of this, be on the alert. Remember, and note this, he says, remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul admonished them to have such a loving concern for Christ's own that they were to guard them from those who would attempt to harm the church, protect the church. Paul said, do it the way I did it, what I did. And what did Paul do? He said that for three years he took care of them. He taught them the truths of the word of God. And notice what he says in verse 31. He says, for three years, night and day. Night and day. It's easy to overlook that, but we shouldn't. Paul said he admonished them with tears night and day. In other words, the apostle was so burdened to help these precious believers for whom Christ died to grow in Christ and to protect them from error, that for three years he hardly had time to sleep. Listen, if you're working night and day, you're not sleeping much. Paul had a job in, in between all of this, too. He was a tent maker. He supported himself. He never took money from, from any of the churches. So for three years he hardly had time to sleep because his ministry was carried on at night and during the daytime. 
So how did he do this? What did he do? Let's go back in this chapter, starting in verse 17, and we read, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord, notice this, with all humility and with tears. Paul cried for this church. With tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, for I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Paul ministered, he's telling them, for three years, as he cried over them as well, and he had trials, for three years, he ministered in the public church gatherings on Sundays, probably other days of the week as well. And then he said he would meet with individuals privately. Why did he do that? Well, probably there was a Q&A time. They asked him questions. Paul, I don't understand what you said on, on Sunday. Help me to understand this. There probably were uh, clarifications that Paul had to, had to give. There probably was personal application he gave. But the point is, is that Paul was always serving. He was so diligent in serving the church simply because he recognized it belongs to Christ. It's his. Therefore, it was precious to Paul because it was precious to Christ. And folks, if it was precious, if it is precious to Christ, it ought to be precious to us. That ought to be our attitude. The church ought to be precious and important to us because the church is God's love gift to Christ. And he cares about its welfare. Listen, if the church is this precious to Christ, then you ought to serve. You ought to sacrifice. You ought to love. You ought not to look negatively as to what the church is not. It's not to say we turn a blind eye to things that we need to improve. But that ought not to be your focus. It's what the church is. It's Christ. I'm convinced that the reason some of us don't love the church like we should is because we don't see the church for what it really is. See, if your view of the church is simply that of a group of sinful people who gather on Sundays, then your view is is wrong. Now, it is true that the church is made up of sinners, some who at times can act very hypocritically, others who at times can be rude, insensitive, thoughtless, selfish, unfriendly. So no one would deny that Christians in the church can have some very serious sin issues. However, in spite of the sins of God's people, we need to see the church as Jesus sees the church, what it is now and what it will be someday. And for that, I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writes in Ephesians 5 about marriage. He tells Wives, how to treat and respond to their husbands. Then starting in verse 25, he tells husbands how to treat their wives. He says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy. And blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we're members 
of his body. Then he goes back to the Old Testament. He quotes this. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, when we think of these verses, we usually think of them solely as Paul instructing a husband how to treat his wife. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I mean, that that is the point here, that Paul is addressing husbands and he's telling them how to love and treat their wives. But what Paul is really getting at here and telling husbands this is that he's saying that you are to treat your wife the way Christ treats the church. Paul says this mystery is great. I'm really talking about the relationship of Christ and his church. That is the model you're to follow. And he says that Christ loves the church and has demonstrated that love by sacrificing his life for the church. He has died for the church with the objective that someday the church will be glorified. It'll be perfect without any sinful defects or spots or stains. And therefore, today, what Christ is doing is he is nourishing and he cherishes the church to cherish possession, which essentially means that he provides and says he nourishes. He provides all that she needs to grow spiritually mature. And by cherish, he means the thought here is that he gives the church tender affection of his love and security. Now, folks, if Jesus loves the church so much that he would die for her, save her, sanctify her, which is what he's in the process of doing now, and someday we will ultimately be sanctified, then how can we be indifferent to the church? We, We can't. We are to look forward to gathering together on Sundays. Do you know that? This is what ought to make your heart beat faster. When you think of Sundays coming around, it shouldn't be, oh, I gotta get dressed. I gotta get up early. I've got it. That's how many of us, I'm afraid, think of, of the church. And I understand we have an enemy who works in our hearts and tries to give us a negative attitude about getting up early and getting dressed and going to church and giving and greeting people and putting a smile on all that. But really, if you have the right perspective on the church, your heart should beat faster when Sunday rolls around. I am now in the habit of telling my grandchildren when I see them, I say, you know what's coming up Sunday? It is the best day of the week because that's when we go to church. You understand that you understand that Christ loves the church. We are to deeply love the people of God. Remember, the church is not a building. We are to do all we can to help them grow. That growth is to take place in the context of a local church where where people, sinful people, minister to one another on a regular basis. Listen, your heart will beat faster for the church when you consider that these are the people that Christ loves in a unique way, unlike anyone else or anything else in the world. And as a result, you will love them. You'll sacrifice for them. You'll lose sleep as Paul did, to minister to them with all of their quirks and sinful defects. Because why? Listen, to love Christ is to love his people. You cannot separate loving 
Christ and loving his people. The Bible won't let you separate them. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't particularly care for his people. Some of us need to change our attitude about the church. We need to get excited about going. We need to get excited about growing in the Word. We need to stop criticizing and start encouraging. To stop being a spectator and start being a willing servant. You'll be amazed at how your church will change if you let God change your attitude. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel of Clearwater, Florida. We'd love to have you come and visit us for any of the services. You can call us for help or prayer at 727-239-0306. We'd love to hear from you. It would be a real encouragement to us. By the way, have you ever looked at our website, versebyverseradio.org? Check out the resources that are available. You can also share the financial burden of this ministry so we can keep sending out the clear teaching of God's Word by giving a gift over the phone, by mail, or through the website. That's how we stay on the air. It's been great to be together around the Word of God today. We'll look again at the church in the New Testament on our next broadcast. Don't miss it. For everyone here at Verse by Verse, this is Jerry Pruden thanking you for listening. In the meantime, let God's life-changing truth change your life so that we can become the church He wants us to be.